0: House, let me eat your bar. Let me see your bite. Let me see your scar. You in the in the house, in the house, here to welcome you to the third or fourth most mediocre Husky football podcast on the internet. Remember to subscribe and rate and review and etc. on Apple Podcasts or Stitchers or whatever. We're the official podcast of the Cody Pickett Fan Club. And with that, please welcome co-host Gaby Lucas.
1: What's going on? Hello. Uh, what's going on? Zero. Except for we just got a commitment from a certain person who is good at football like an hour ago. So that's yeah. it.
0: It's great news. I mean, we are recording this podcast minutes, like um, probably about 100 minutes, 90 minutes after uh, Owen Prentiss committed to Washington. He's in the boat, as they say. I love that phrase to describe recruits who have committed in the boat, and the rest of the other recruits are still um, languishing in the ocean on life preservers and whatnot. Uh, Prentiss is very exciting. He's one of the top ten guards by the consensus rankings of the country. He's the best offensive lineman in the state of Washington. He's on the fringes of the top 100 high school players in the country, according to 24-7 and the uh, consensus ratings. And this is the third year in a row that Washington's had the number one in-state offensive lineman uh, commit to UW after Kalepo, and was, I believe it was Gary and Hatchett last year, so that's three in a row. So they're loading up on the interior, on the outside of the offensive line. How does that make you feel?
1: Uh, is there any answer to that that makes sense that is not like great? <laughs> you know, I feel like there's no no correct answer to that other than yeah, that's, that's a good that's a good thing to do, especially I feel like um you know after losing Foster Sorel in 2017 um even though you know everyone has common knowledge that like Stanford was his dream school to still feel like you were along for the ride and still had a chance only to just it be Stanford all along was such a good gut punch. Um and obviously, you know, Kalepo, Hatchet and um Prentice were nowhere near as highly rated as Terrell since it was kind of between him and Walker Little for number one and number two offensive tackles in the country, if I remember correctly. Um but yeah, I think I I mean yeah, I mean especially after after seeing kind of what what UW was up against in twenty sixteen against Alabama and and coming away knowing that really what they needed to improve was improving upon the, in the offensive line and defensive line as well, but especially in that game, the, the offensive line, just building up that talent base and, and keeping guys home, um, on the trenches, at least on the offensive side. I'm going to knock on wood about JTT, since we don't know what that will, how that will conclude yet. But, uh, yeah, it is a good thing, period.
0: I think that's exactly right, what you said about Alabama, and that carries over to most of the top-shelf games UW has played in the last five years, uh, including the Auburn game, Ohio State game, uh, the Penn State game. In each of those cases, probably the biggest area that differentiated the teams was just in the trenches. There was very little time for anything to develop with our offensive line blocking and – You know, just across the board, we were kind of, like, owned. We weren't as big, strong, and fast as the other team in in any of those cases. Uh, Since that time, I mean, I'm sure it wasn't, like, before then the coaching staff said, like, forget about it. We don't need offensive (laughs) and defensive linemen. But it really has turned a corner, and, and maybe that's a product of there was enough, like, Chris Peterson and even before him, Sark laid the groundwork to elevate the program enough that they could start recruiting at that level. but. Pretty much, you know, not every recruit's going to turn out, but there is a path to playing guys across the offensive and defensive lines who are all not only blue chip recruits, but for the most part, among like the ten or fifteen best players at their position uh, coming out of high school, and that that could, you know, if everything breaks right, make a huge difference in terms of the ceiling for the program because you can only go so far with uh, you know inferior physical talent. Uh, and really good coaching. You can get pretty far, almost to the top, but not quite. And those kinds of things are kind of the the baseline. Um, Any thoughts about the fact that Prentice is not only local, but, you know, O'Day is, what, three and a half miles from campus or something? Does that mean anything to you? Is there any more sentimentality attached to a player coming just across town?
1: I mean, uh, I think, I mean, the sentimentality of it, I I suppose, um, you know, obviously because of any in-state school there's like that history and all that although i do think the value of um on like a sentimental side i'm purely talking about for that in that respect like the value of people who come from out of state and like fully buy in and and feel like they become representatives i feel like that has kind of its own unique value as well and um but i think on not as far as the like emotional investment and just being like, Oh yeah, you're a guy from in-state who like gets it and you're from so close by. Um, I think with how, um, you know, it's been a couple of years of everyone looking at the 2021 class of Washington talent and realizing how, how important that was and how loaded that class is. And um, obviously the recruiting cycle um, between the coaching change and COVID and everything. Um, I don't need to like rehash how everyone's been a little bit freaked out about UW's performance where that's concerned. Um, but I think being able to get I believe Owen Prentice is the highest rated recruit outside of Sam Heward and then JTT and Amika Agbuka. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. So I feel like being able to have another guy in the boat um, especially one that's you know, undisputably uh, quite a good um, and at a position like what we were just talking about where, you know, the trenches are the things that matter the most. Um, I think building some of that momentum and communicating to um, both fans um, and recruits, it's like kind of a good public relations win in a way um, just to, to, momentum, I think momentum on, in recruiting, um, is only a it's a thing, but it's kind of how I feel about it on the field as well as it's only as much of a thing as recruits or as players on the field, let it be. Um, which when you're talking about a bunch of 17 year olds and 18 year olds, um, they do, it does matter. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I think that's where it's most important.
0: Yeah. I think that's fair. Um, I think, Depending on where you look, some of the services have Julian Simon ahead of apprentice for in-state guys, but that's you know for some to some degree beside the point. Uh, but it, that it goes to what we talked about last time uh, in in this idea of momentum and recruiting strategy, and is there something wrong? And um, you know in our in our group Slack discussion, I think. I'm the one who most frequently bangs the drum of, like, we do this every year. Calm down. We do this every year. I was still getting a little bit nervous. We do. We, and Washington has a, a different approach to recruiting, which does typically take longer to yield results. Uh, and that's maybe a little different this year without the uh, official visits even a possibility. But uh, we'll see how that plays out. But most years, it kind of starts slow, picks up steam, as the year goes on and ends up the last few years have been very, very strong. Uh, certainly a potential to go that direction. I mean, we're looking at this great class in the state of Washington. And now uh, since the last time we talked, we had – I think it was right after Will Leitu had committed, and we talked about him. Who's a, a you a know, top 300 national player, four-star recruit. Uh, uh, Jabez Tenay, uh committed more recently than that. So we've got a high-end receiver uh, in the recruiting class as well, and uh, we also there was a, the commitment of C O C Finau, uh, local defensive lineman, kind of under the enigma. radar. Uh,
1: yeah. to,
0: total enigma, wrapped in a, a mystery, smothered in a riddle, and he's uh, nobody knows much about him. Is another way to say that. So, but we've added, you know, now the other than uh, we've got. Basically, since Leitu, Tanai, and Prentice have come in, they've been the second, third, and fourth highest rated players in this recruiting class after Sam Heward, all in-state players. And I think everybody feels a lot different than they did three or four weeks ago when it was kind of like uh, Heward and a bunch of players that are kind of projects or um, kind of hard to draw strong conclusions about them. So I I think everybody does feel better at this point and – kind of checking some of those must-have boxes in the positive direction
1: makes yeah, everybody feel
0: a little less freaked out.
1: Yeah, I don't think – I think a little less freaked out is the most accurate because I think I, – I don't know if I would go so far as to say, like, oh, every – and anytime you're talking about, quote, unquote, everybody, like, you're, you can't make a correct statement that way. But um, in general, I think going, oh, yeah, we all or everyone, fans or us or whoever feels a lot better, like, I don't think I would go that far. Simply because um, you know things have looked kind of shaky, even with these commitments, it um, it seems like there are still a lot of guys, whether it's Troy Franklin or Malik of the and you know, with, without knowing where uh, JTD and Amika are going, um, it seems like there's a lot of high level talent that uh, you know we had potential with and then blew it, and with um, the two in-state guys, you know, obviously they're not committed yet, but we don't know. I think if if I think if UW is able to pull in one or or both of them, I think if UW is able to pull in one of them, um, people will feel quite a bit better. I think if UW is able to pull in both of them, then I think we can say that statement of everyone feels a lot better. Period. Um, yeah,
0: I think at that point everybody would feel almost everybody but, would feel yeah. great.
1: Yeah, I, yeah, I just feel like the opportunity cost of knowing that those guys are in there. And so you have, with them being in state, um, uh, you're, you know, you're, that's as few, uh, as little of resource output as you can have is with those guys being in state. So knowing that you have that opportunity to reel in three, five stars of Sam Hewitt, good um, JG, Tim, Malal, like, I think if we only get Sam, as the, as the Husky legacy, and don't get either of those two. I think I I think it would be hard pressed to find the Husky fandom uh, reacting super great to it, even, even though, <laughs> which I think that, that's like kind of a stupid thing to say, but just because the opportunities for Washington with how recruiting, um, with how high school talent is. Um, uh, kind of geographically located, it, this is such a rare opportunity um, that I feel like it would feel kind of like blowing it if if um, both those guys end up out of state.
0: Yeah, we'll see how it plays out. I, I think it's it's hard to know what the reaction will be without knowing the context. I would feel that way if they both committed elsewhere tomorrow, but a lot can change in between now and when the recruiting season ends. Uh, but before we move on, I, I think we had a, a conversation offline a while ago uh just talking about all the great things of, in Sam Heward's tape, even though it's been a while <laughs> since we've seen him play or talked about him, but it it kind of had that was I think part of the uh train towards starting to feel a little bit better just thinking about the fact that we have this quarterback who really doesn't look like any of the all the great, quarterback talent that has come through the school in the last uh, decade or so, and Jake Locker and on through several other very high-end recruits. Uh, nobody's really had the package that Sam Heward brings to the table in terms of uh, the, like the combination of poise, uh, seemingly ability to, to read a defense, and also like across the board arm talent, strength, ability to place the ball, throw it at different angles, and so on. What were some of the things I, – like, I, I know you were um, kind of salivating over the potential of Heward. What are some of the things that you found most exciting about him as a prospect and, and excited to see him on the field about?
1: Yeah. Um, so I want to preface this by saying that I – even though, I mean, heward has been on everyone's radar since, what, like the summer before his freshman year of high school – Um, and has been super hyped up since then and, uh, has shown why. Um, and I was obviously really excited about him, but was kind of for my own self pumping the brakes on expectations. Um, just because a, I'm not an idiot. I know how quarterbacks very often pan out. Um, I know that it's not good for my own mental health as a fan or for the mental health uh, of these players, which, if especially if you're a quarterback, like if, you know, mental health make it has a huge impact on your ability to perform on the field. Um, so I would just kind of had that dialogue going on inside my head and obviously was excited about him, but I have been trying to be as critical as possible. Um, and then I got bored like a week ago and went and watched his probably like half of his um, junior year huddle. Um, and I think the thing that that I'm most excited about is just seeing his insane accuracy on long throws, because that's so. I remember you mentioning this in our Slack uh, writers group how you were you were nervous because of you know looking at the Washington high school uh, five-star quarterbacks of the last you know decade and how I mean 66% of them didn't pan out. <laughs> One of them didn't, did pan out, but didn't meet up to hype. Obviously that being Jake Eaps and Max Brown and then Eason who is in the NFL and did fine, but he had plenty of stuff to improve on and wasn't perfect. Um, and I think the difference when I'm looking at Heward and again, I'm still pumping the brakes on my own expectations is that he is kind of the antithesis of the stereotypical five-star. I feel like, I mean, he's not huge, Um uh, like Brown and, and Easton. I think Jake Heaps, if I remember correctly, was quite a big dude too and could throw it really far, but I can't, I can't access that part of my brain right now. <laughs> but, but, um, he's, what he's like 62, the most recently listed at 175, although in pictures now he looks bigger. Um, he has a, does have quite a good arm, but it's not like an Easton arm. Um, it's not this insane cannon. Um, everything about, Why he's a five star is so much more about the nuances of the quarterback position and the nuances of the physicality of your arm instead of just like, hey, look at that kid. He can throw out 70 yards off his back foot, which is like great. But if you can't, you know, process anything, it doesn't matter. So I think just to me, there's a little bit less there to like get really hyped up about versus say Jacob Eason's or Max Brown's high school film, but just. I think of it as whether it's his accuracy or, yeah, poise or, frankly, I think he looks like a better athlete on his feet than we can probably give him credit for. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's just those things translate or are more often overlooked and more often more important, um, and so, yeah. I just, but the thing that that I really stood out for me when I got really bored and went back and watched his huddle because we're in a pandemic and we didn't get spring football and we don't know if we're gonna get fall football and I need football, god damn it, uh, was that the accuracy and the 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 touch and the angles on his on his long throws were Italian chef's kiss. <laughs> I can't see it, but I just did the gesture. The end. <laughs> yeah, I
0: think it, that's that's all very true. It's all reason to feel really good. You alluded to the fact that we have no idea what's going to happen in the fall. Uh, so moving on from recruiting, I thought it would be interesting to talk a little bit about where we stand schedule-wise. Obviously, the non-conference schedule was canceled. We didn't really lose a whole lot because the Big Ten had already canceled their non-conference slate, which took away the Michigan game leaving us with just uh, taking Utah State and Sacramento State off the calendar, which, you know, I I think I wasn't planning on yeah, setting any grandchildren on my knees and telling them about the Sacramento State game of 2020 anyway. Um, But also not clear, you know, if we said we're just going to play a conference schedule and it will be the games, the nine games that you are going to otherwise play, we're a long way from declaring that to be the case. Do you think we ultimately end up even playing football in the fall? What would you like to see? I, I've seen some different ideas floated, uh, including one that's kind of centered on home and homes with the teams most proximate to you. Uh, does that sound appealing to you? I mean, what what where's your head in terms of what what are we going to see in the fall and what
1: do you want to see at this point? Yeah. Well, um, today, I, I mean, again, I, I said this you know, a few podcasts ago when we were, you were also, you and I were talking about, you know, what do you think is a likely scenario? And I still feel that for me, I, I am not comfortable making any kind of prediction because, you know, quote, unquote, unprecedented times, bitch, like, <laughs> you know, and, and everything is just so insane. And, but um, I, I do earlier today, I think it was today, maybe it was yesterday. I remember, I don't know why this showed up on my internet, but um, something from Utah saying that there were some leaks that, like, they're working on a—I um, don't know if it's a round robin, but like a nine-game Pac-12 schedule. And Utah was some people from Utah were mentioning that their first game in this would be playing Oregon, which they were lamenting. Um, obviously, that means that our first game. Obviously, the implication there is that okay. They're gonna be or changing around the schedules so that it's not just like yeah. taking out your, um, your um, out of conference games and, and uh, doing that. So obviously that means our first game wouldn't be Oregon. If that's the case, who knows? Whatever. The thing that I, you, know, I, I don't think. I think if we play football in the fall, you know, that's not super unlikely. Um, the thing that does kind of freak me out just from a player safety standpoint is looking at. The COVID situation in Arizona is, like, you know, it's really bad. And then also, I mean, you look at the NBA and the NHL, and they say, okay, well, we have our bubble, and you just can't leave the bubble. A, you can't do that with college players because they're not your employees. But even if you could, even if this was the NFL, that's, you know, this is, I mean, the NFL is 53 men on the roster, but still an 85 men. You can't have 85. I mean, that's just not possible to enforce. And then you have the strength trainers and the coaching staff. I mean, what is that? That's upwards of a thousand people for the conference. Um, so I'm, I'm, when I think about how effed the COVID situation is in, for example, in Arizona, um, and how I, it would make me nervous if I were one of those players or if I were the parents of one of the, the, these players, um, or just as a human being with empathy, which I like to think I am, um, <laughs> that like maybe the ideal scenario would be a home and home with, um, with just the North, uh, which would be fun just for the novelty of it. And it would be more, you know, there, would be, you'd be safer that way. Um, but I think, you know, if stuff happens in the fall, there's no way to guarantee anything. So, yeah. <laughs> I think, well, actually, I did mention this somewhere on Twitter that I think we should go back to, like, the Gil Doby era scheduling where it's, like, Nathan Hale, JV, Whitman, Oregon. Throw Oregon in there once. <laughs> like, Okanagan Community College.
0: Some, I don't know. Some loggers from Canada.
1: The like, Athletic Club. Yeah, yeah. UBC. No, just kidding. They have to quarantine. Yeah, right. not allowed in the country.
0: They just have to play on the border. Um, yeah, that, that's the fifty-yard line. Nobody can cross over. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think you you mentioned how the NBA has been doing their bubble, which seems to be. I mean, so far, if you follow the numbers, that players they're not really contracting the virus while in the bubble, which is positive. It means it seems to be working for the most part. Some guys have been sick when they've arrived or before they got there, they've been quarantined. So it seems at least possible to protect people in that way. Um, It's unclear to me. I mean, obviously there's a lot of science that's still, um, you know, what the best practice is is kind of up in the air. Uh, But how dangerous actually playing football is, but certainly the traveling elements would be very dangerous and lots of other parts uh, about that. In terms of uh, you know getting getting to and from games and the, who else is getting exposed and you know setting aside whatever people think about you know mortality rates and everything else just in terms of the exposure overall you're not isolating you're not distancing if you're if you're traveling to football games so I think in, in that respect it's kind of hard to imagine a way to do this that that involves long travel you know getting to Los Angeles in Arizona and things like that. Basically anything more than a bus ride away. I don't even know if Northern California is that practical, but it would be, you know, I, I, I if this season ends up being like home and homes against uh, Washington state, uh, Oregon state and Oregon, and that's all we get, It'll be disappointing, but it's better than not playing at all. You know, I I, I think I'm just trying to be realistic and make the most out of the situation that we're going to have. Although I will say one thing that this got me thinking about is how much I – I guess I'm coming to realize I just don't like non-conference games. And if we only played – like playing Michigan would have been super fun. Other than that, I – really could do away with every school having these tune-up games against teams like Utah State and Sacramento State, or, you know, we've played Hawaii and BYU and and a lot of other teams from the West over the last several years. I, I think, I mean, my personal opinion, if you just got rid of non-conference play altogether or only had one non-conference game per year, it would make the postseason, whether you're talking about bowls or a playoff, so much more interesting because it would actually be a contrast in styles. There would be a lot of unknown associated with you know, conference versus conference and just not a lot of overlap. It might even incentivize players to stay closer to home because that would be their their chance to play in front of their friends and family. I don't know. Just a, a personal opinion of mine that I think would be I I would personally enjoy seeing Schools have a lot more focus on the conference season than um, kind of the you know AT&T season kickoff or whatever Chick-fil-A uh, eight-game slate in Atlanta to start the year, and it kind of trivializes everything that comes after it.
1: Yeah, but you know what you're not not thinking of when you say that is you know what that would mess up is the most the reason that we watch football and care about football or college football. Is because if you don't have non-conference, then the college football imperial territory map uh, would never <laughs> be able to happen. And honestly, I don't know about you, but I don't give a shit about anything else. I thought you were
0: Although, going to point out that this would not make as much money, which would be a no. very boring observation and obviously true, no. and that's why it won't happen. But your point is a much better one, and I yeah. find it much more interesting.
1: Although anyway. With an idea while you were talking about that yeah. for how they could make a thing. So, okay. All right. I'm, I'm still thinking this through. So it's, it's either genius or the stupidest garbage you've ever heard. But, so play, let's just assume, okay, they'll they'll play. If they play in the fall, let's assume there's going to be some hiccups. Like, sh- sh- crap's going to go down where they're, you know, people, players are going to, some people are going to get it and they're going to have to be held out and whatever and blah, blah, blah. So pretty much already we're in this scenario where it's practically an exhibition season anyway. We're not doing non-conference. Who knows if Bulls will – I mean, I'm sure – who knows? But, um, it's, yeah, so no non-conference. Multiple players at various points won't be able to play because of um, being sick, uh, blah, 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 whatever. So what we should do is – Except that the reason we want to watch football right now is pretty much the the, uh, same reason that we watch or care about spring football, which is to see the trajectory of the program, where they're moving, just to satiate that little bit of our curiosity about our team. So acknowledge already, from an existential point of view, it doesn't matter. We all die anyway. Play (laughs) against, you know, Oregon, Oregon State, Washington State. Maybe Stanford and Cal put like two weeks, once every two weeks, so you can get that like quarantine time and have, um, uh, have some time for like hiccups to, to, um, uh, what's the word? Have some buffer time pretty much. Then assume we should just assume that if they were playing that, that amount of games, whether that's five or six or whatever, that at some point during the season, they'd probably just have to cut it and be like, okay, well, Shit's got real, so we're going to just stop like they did with basketball. But wait, we were only going to do a few games anyway, so just play this few, four, five, whatever. Halt it during the normal time when we don't have it, during, like, you know, December, blah, 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 January. Uh, because I'm going to assume by then the situation is probably just as bad as it is now. <laughs> give it give it some time for the country to get their shit together. Sorry, I realize I've started swearing a lot the last like five minutes. Country gets our crap together. College football gets, can regroup. The Pac-12, dub everyone can regroup and then finish the season, you know, another four or five games during the spring so that we can just, you know, have that. Uh, it was, it's a fine idea. It's not my best, but i Just count
0: everything that we can get through now and assume yeah. it's going to get shut down and then finish the rest later.
1: Admit that this is all exhibition anyway. I mean, yeah. you know, this crap. I just want to watch I, football yeah. because I want to watch football and I enjoy it for its own inherent on-field worth, which in the cosmic sense is nothing.
0: I mean, millions of people watched that incredibly stupid Tom Brady versus Peyton Manning, Phil Mickelson golf thing a few months ago. So, yes, I think there is an appetite for – exhibitions, sporting events that don't actually mean anything. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, I would was- absolutely watch a game that doesn't count against Wazoo yeah. or against Boise or some other school within driving distance right now. would You would not have to uh, convince me to watch it.
1: Yeah, not at all. And, and, then, and like, in what way is that inherently any different? Now, this is just getting into, like, this Jean-Paul Sartre or, like, Camus a style discussion of, like, why does anything matter? <laughs> I don't like yeah, football. I mean, is,
0: we were destined to get to this, into these depths at some point during the quarantine. Um, yeah. <laughs> Come back for seg- segment three when we discussed, do we actually like football? Now, um, yeah. No. No. Okay. <laughs> For the uh, Actually, we're right on schedule with that, so let's take a break. We'll come back. We do have an off-topic kind of quarantine discussion coming up after the ad, so stick Don't around. Hang up and, now. Yes. Yeah, so if, if, if you want hard-hitting analysis, you probably made a mistake downloading this in the first place. But stick around, and we'll be right back, and we will talk about teams that we sort of kind of like in the Pac-12. Welcome back. So I mentioned before the break that we're talking about the teams we kind of like in the Pac-12. This grows out of an ongoing conversation where we've talked about there are, there's kind of a tier of teams that I think most Husky fans agree that they loathe. There's a tier of teams that we kind of have some grudging admiration for. And there's kind of this uh, big morass in the middle of teams that we don't really like. Uh, we're glad to cheer against them but it's not the kind of burning hatred that there is for the arch-rival schools. So we're going to kind of go through from bottom to top, most hated to least hated, uh, of how we feel about the other Pac-12 programs. And in order to maximize the level of subjectivity and uh, lack of real answers, we didn't come up with any criteria for this at all. It's based purely on gut feel. So if you want to complain about it, you're telling us our feelings are wrong, which is fine, and our feelings can be wrong. Uh, and likely are at some points. I have a feeling. Let's start out kind of with the bottom third. I have a feeling, Gaby, we're not going to agree on all of these, but we probably do agree at the very bottom. Uh, yeah. The teams we hate the most. Yeah,
1: Oregon is one.
0: at the bottom of the list. Absolute pit. Uh, the next bottom is WSU, and I think that you know if WSU was really good. I might hate them more than Oregon, but they're not. So, uh, the, the I think, element of unfairness that Oregon, it at least feels like they've bought their way into relevance, is the thing that really pushes them over the top for me and clinches them a strong finish at number 12.
1: Yeah. And can I say really quickly, because I don't feel any need to elaborate on Oregon. That's a waste of my lungs and our listeners' eardrums. No one gives a crap. We all know. But I want to just have a little addendum that when I lived in Canada, I was away from, like, growing up, I was, like, the Apple Cup was a huge rivalry. And, like, on Apple Cup Friday, me and, like, a few other girls from, in, like, elementary school would dress up in our gear, and they were cougs. And I was honest, We were like, rah, I hate you, rah. Um, and then I moved to Canada, and then I kind of forgot that I, I would watch the Apple Cup up there, but I wasn't, like, really emotionally invested in, like, I'd kind of forgotten why it was that I disliked the Cougs, especially because, you know, parts of my family are, including, like, my favorite aunt is a Cougar, so we'd, like, have a friendly little rivalry, and we're like, ha, 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 and then the rest of the year I'd be like, I hope you win this game, and she'd be like, love you, and blah, blah, blah. (laughs) But then I moved back, and oh my effing God, I forgot how much I hate Wazoo, and... My whole, I, I, I could give like a half an hour TED talk on like, I just remember the first year I moved back watching, um, the Apple Cup with some people. I forgot that I hate watching it with Cougs because they just turned into such shitheads and used, used the fact that they're like the scrappy underdog of an institution to justify being shitheads in person. <laughs> uh, and, and my issue also since I went, like, you know, I grew up in, Kind of in the forest, but I went to a, like, suburban high school, and Wazoo was the place where all the rich suburban kids went to, so that they could feel like they were, like, bona fide country kids, and I'm like, up, oh, yours, you douchebag, like, <laughs> like, no, you don't get to be, like, these poser country boys who wear, like, I don't know, like, friggin', I don't know, stupid little bro tanks, and be like, blast. Who gives a crap? Anyways, I, I've, I've said this much more eloquently before, but it took about an hour. So I um, just wanted to give Wazoo a little bit of a shout out for reminding me that...
0: Living down to their own very low standards.
1: Living down to you, and then being like, we're the we're like scrappy little underdogs. Oh my god. And I'm like, well, as individuals, I hate you all. <laughs> anyway, yeah. okay, moving yeah. on.
0: I mean, the idea that somebody, I, I don't think, I think that's all ex post facto uh, rationalization on the part of mm-hmm. the, your high school classmates in the sense that they weren't shooting to go to Wazoo when they were growing up. It just worked out that way, and they had to come up with an identity that would retroactively justify how they, I think they felt like in that. Group.
1: I, think I mean, I don't half. know
0: these people. But then but there if,
1: are other half who, like, grew up, sub- like, you know that kind of subtype of of people who, like, they grew up suburban, but are like, I'm country bro, and I'm like, then gut this trout for me, you little shit. Um, and they can't because they're losers. Um Yeah, I think it's, like, half people who wouldn't have gone there but, but then did, and then have to, like, backtrack to fit into that identity, and then half people who, like, always wanted an excuse to validate um, in themselves. And their, their, like, mythical version of who they are, which is not very accurate, okay, anyways, I didn't we just keep getting so off track into these yeah people. well, it's fine uh, number so ten sorry to everyone <laughs> their your balls
0: uh, number ten, I have uh USD do you agree with that one that was a pretty easy one for me. This is my clear bottom tier of Oregon, Washington state USD
1: I don't know because and i I think I should include here to anyone who's listening that um Andrew about a few days ago sent me this list and I looked over it very briefly and then never looked at it again and forgot. Um, so I, I, none of these are in my, are like my own opinions, but, um, I think, I think in a standard, like if you're looking at over time and like the aggregate long-term sense, probably, but I think there's always, I think USC, since, I mean, we're both millennials, um, but growing up, it's kind of, you know, even growing up during Pete Carroll's reign at USC, even though they were the enemy and all that, it was still, you kind of had, I respected them. And so in that way, especially with, you know, their whole um, rivalry with Texas being so iconic and everything, um... So in that sense, there's – I'll always have, like, some respect for them versus I, I've noticed, like, my parents' generation of UW fans does not have that, <laughs> and I respect their lack of respect for USC. But um, I think at any given time, there's often a few schools who I genuinely hate, like, a lot more than USC simply because of their current um state or tomfoolery or whatever right now, for example – or not even hate, but just, like, have – um more derision for like right now I think it would probably be like UCLA and University of Arizona just because I'm like you guys are stupid get your crap together <laughs> um, but but those schools that are at any given moment below USC in my dislike meter are they're, they're completely fluid so because you can't count on anyone to stay there permanently I suppose you could put USC there it's fun yeah. watching with all their resources
0: I think the reason I have them this low is that I disliked them possibly just because I'm a contrarian and I don't like the super – I don't like juggernaut teams. I disliked them before um, I even had anything to do with the state of Washington or the University of Washington, So, um, which is weird because I like a lot of their uh, traditions. I love their uniforms. I think they have some of the best uniforms in all of college football. I think the Coliseum is a cool place to play. It's kind of a dump, and that's endearing, and it's distinctive, which I like. Their games look great on TV with that weird whatever they call the 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 golden hour, I think it's called, or whatever, the golden light in L.A. when the sun is setting. And oh, it's yeah, kind of yeah, so it's magic real. hour. Everything. Yeah, magic, that's the word. Uh, the, the fans, like the, the, the music in the stadium is cool. Yeah. And for some reason, it's just, like, it just lines up a little too perfectly. It's, like, a little too glitzy. It's a little too self-important. And it just always rubbed me the wrong way. And I say I hate juggernauts, but even before that, I really liked uh, Miami for some reason. Uh, <laughs> I, I really enjoyed Yeah, I don't I mean, I grew up in North Dakota. I didn't have, like, any reason to like or hate teams. It was just based on, like, somebody I saw on TV one time. And I just never liked USC. Um And... That was a very easy thing to adopt as I moved to Washington about 12 years ago. Uh, And one of the earlier games, one of the most memorable early games, was seeing UW beat USC uh, with Jake Locker. And it was, I mean, that, that just has carried through. There's just every year, like, that game feels like an important one because the stakes are higher and USC means something. And if we had a third rival in conference, that's kind of who I would say that it is. And that kind of makes it easy for me to put them next to last after the two bona fide hated rivals. Um, moving along. So I, I put a dividing line there, although the next school, the ninth place school for me is Stanford. And now that I'm looking at it again, I don't know if the dividing line really belongs there because I I've, I've pretty strongly dislike Stanford too. Um, I guess I have a grudging grudging admiration for them because they are the one school in the conference where we can't say we're, like, on par or better than them academically, Um, and that's maybe that counts for something. Maybe it doesn't. Uh, But this is another one. Like, they were always such garbage, and then they had a really good coach, uh, and, and admittedly he was a great coach, Harbaugh. And then they've just been kind of – it feels to me like they've just been kind of coasting for about six or seven years, and the wheels may have come off. And if things stay as bad as they were last year for the rest of, you know, the next five years and Shaw leaves and, and they kind of float back into obscurity, maybe I won't hate them so much, but there are a lot of little things about them, like their lack of fans, their uh, the fact that they grow the grass really long to antagonize the other teams and like screw up teams that are more talented than them, it I find. I did
1: not know about that.
0: Oh yeah! Oh yeah! That's- they play it like in a cornfield, essentially. Um, I don't know. What are your feelings on Stanford? Are they um, mild dislike, neutral, hatred?
1: Oh, I have to think. Okay, I have to. Think. I, I think Stanford. I have a very ambivalent. Uh, like, very ambivalent thoughts on. Because on one hand, I get, sometimes I do get tired of, like, their douchebaggery about, you know, being nerds. But then also, like, you are nerds. You're Stanford. Go ahead. Own it. Like, I don't want to, like, I don't want to hate you for, for, for use, for advertising that you're, like, nerds, you know. These the aren't the
0: fake head rednecks head. pretending to be rednecks that was. Yeah, these, these are they're actual
1: They're real nerds. nerds. They're not fake rednecks. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, real bona fide nerds. And I, I also do respect that they do have, you know, history, um, which is, you know, worth, worth, uh, paying attention to. Um, but, yeah, I, and I know some, some people really hate David Shaw too. They just look at his, I remember, I think it was Chris Arnold. Managing editor who one time was like, I just want to punch David Shaw in the face, like his <laughs> smug face. And I don't, I don't, I don't hate him. Um, I, he seems like a good dude, but um, I don't think I, I, I don't think I hate any black head
0: coaches because I think they. It's been like, look at the numbers. It's very hard to get there, and I like, I, I want there to be a better representation of black coaches in college football because it's just absurd to me the idea that. Coaches are exclusively former players. Players are majority black and have been for generations. And the coaches, somehow, they just don't get the opportunities. It's like one of the more obvious ingrained bits of racism in society. So, like, when there are black coaches, I like that. Having said that, he's pretty low on my list of black coaches who I like and want to continue having their jobs.
1: (laughs) I think he looks like a Canadian from South Park because his mouth is really wide. His mouth is. Yeah. Um, and like their mouths, um, are wide uh, in South Park. Anyways, um, yeah, I, 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 for a while, okay, I think what it is, for a while, I had a lot of respect for Stanford for being like the just playing like old school, like Wisconsin style football and like really being for their kind of being proud of their offensive linemen, um, and to a lesser extent, defensive linemen, but still. But then now I feel like my issue with them now is that um, they still I feel like advertise that, but like you can't advertise that and then also have just not be that good. Like that I'm gonna hate, I'm gonna hate you for that. Although well, if I yeah. had to the rank, they there would be teams below them. The
0: the two tight end sets and the like smash mouth offense and like running behind a fullback and everything. I, I'm I'm. When I hear, in principle, the idea we're going to have a distinctive style, we're going to do something different than what everybody else does, and we're going to tailor our recruiting and our whole program around that, and it's going to be a different experience to watch us play, I'm like, all right, that's cool. That's really fun. I love that idea. I love what, like, Navy does that. I love, you know, how, like, Nebraska used to have that. And then I watched Stanford play it. I'm like, not that. Like, that's not the version <laughs> not of it that you. I it. <laughs> It's like, mm, no, yeah. that's just – that's not different. That's just boring. Um. So I, you know, I, I,
1: yeah. Part of that is I. This just popped into my head, and, and it kind of reminds me of my Wazoo rant. But um, I think part of that is when you look at like Nebraska, like old school Nebraska or Wisconsin or whatever. It's like these, or uh, I don't know Iowa, with their tight ends. It's like these corn-fed country boys, and you're like, yeah, you be true to yourself. You just be a bunch of Gigantic men just bulldozing people, like it yeah. feels like yeah. this like real thing. But versus like a bunch of dudes in tech country, Palo Alto. I think I think I've just touched on something. I think I've I think we've, we're doing like this hate uh, football hatred therapy. And I think I've just opened yeah, up a part of a my. That's a very show. good point. I don't think, yeah.
0: They've developed a distinctive playing style that's uh, completely contrary to their. Like like everything about them. Yeah, Uh, I think also there's so many things about them. Like I like the idea of like very simple blocky uniforms with no extra trim. I I do like Stanford's uniforms. Like (laughs) it's a whole bunch of things. Like if you ask me in the abstract, I like it, but then when you actually look at Stanford, I don't like it. It's I I was listening to there's a, a Slate podcast about David Duke. That's been going on right now. They oh, that mentioned that it's it is very good. I, I uh, it's it's worth listening to. It's like the new season of Sloper. Um, it's uh, Josh Levine is doing. It. He's one of the hosts of Hang Up and Listen, which is their kind of like highbrow sports podcast. Or at least I don't know if it's even still on. I stopped listening to it. But uh, it's about David Duke. They, they were talking recently about how it was difficult to poll in Louisiana because people wouldn't admit that they were going to vote for him. But opposing pollsters figured out that asking people questions like uh, do you think Martin Luther King Day should be a federal holiday would get them much closer to the actual voting results because people would say, no, I don't think it should be, but I'm not going to vote for David Duke, but then they'd actually show up and vote for David Duke. So you Mm -hmm. ask them the questions in the abstract. That's like me with Stanford. It's like do you (laughs) like a team that has its own distinctive offensive style and builds their whole program around it? Yes. Do you like a team that, uh, like, builds its stadium to fit the advantages that their uh, offense has put together in their strategy? Yes. Do you like really simple, blocky uniforms without a bunch of unnecessary trim? Yes. Do you like Stanford? Oh, hell no. No.
1: <laughs>
0: okay, so that's 12-10, right. 9 So my number eight I have is UCLA, and this is where we start to kind of move out of hate into ambivalence, kind of a mild dislike. And there are things I don't hate about UCLA. Like I, I like poly Pavilion for one thing, and the Rose Garden and uh, the Rose Bowl. They have great uniforms, both football and basketball. Just like maybe even better than USC, maybe the second best in the conference after UW. A uh, lot of things that are cool about UCLA. I like the fact that. They kind of they, – they have never broken through to be a true national powerhouse, even though it seems like they should. And as, like, an opposing team, that's appealing to me. Uh, they have a very cool campus. Uh, but at the same time – well, I mean, Chip Kelly's there now, and that's not a good thing. Uh, but it's been a long time since they had anything about their football team even close to an identity that was l- remotely likable. Like, what was the last thing – like, when I try to think about, like, what – on the field have you liked about UCLA? Like maybe Josh Rosen a little bit, but before that, like Maurice Jones-Drew? I, like it's been a long time.
1: Yeah. Well, okay, I think that's funny because all the things you list about that are about them that are for you reasons to kind of like them. Oh, Rob just texted us, Miles Jack sucked. <laughs> <laughs> um, all those things that you listed are reasons why I would have them below Stanford, at least right now. Because like I liked I liked Josh Rosen. Um, I know some people thought he was kind of a douchebag and like maybe he was. I don't know, whatever. But I just you know he was real. I liked him. Um, and I like J.J. Molson, their kicker who just graduated because he's um, heir to the Canadian brewing company that pretty much founded Canada. So in my mind, if if I were to like give him a high five, he'd give me a six pack. So that's good. But. For me, the fact that they've never be, been able to break through and like they always seem to just kind of like f around and not amount to anything when they're in the by far the most fertile recruiting area in the western US. Um, their administration is just a total cluster of inadequacy. there's just they, to me they're just an embarrassment to the pac well. So I just – I cannot – I can't not hate that, you know. I don't know. Although that one time Texas a and blew a bajillion point lead to them was the greatest moment of my great. life. That was really great.
0: They gave um, me that. I think that's probably enough said on UCLA. Uh, I, I, next, I had a tie between Arizona and Arizona State. This is like the dead center, the uh, sixth and seventh teams. Uh, and or I guess it's 7th and 8th, whatever. I don't I, – there are things I like about both these schools. Uh, I, I We were actually talking before we started recording about the state of Arizona and how it's, like, not actually livable but kind of fun to occasionally visit. Uh, I've been to a game in Tempe. I've never been to one in Tucson. Uh, it's a fun, dumpy stadium. Uh, it feels like somebody just pushed a bunch of bleachers together. I think they've done some renovations on it, but it's a cool location up on that mountain – um, I like both these teams' uniforms uh, in general, although Arizona has a tendency to get a little, uh, little busy with their uniforms sometimes. Uh, but they just always seems to be—they always seem to do things that are just fundamentally unlikable. Uh, like the perfect experience at Arizona State kind of like permanently turned me against them. I think in a way, they just seem like they're a team that's always like plays a little bit dirty. And then Arizona is kind of a lot of things you just said about UCLA. It always feels like they're on the verge of becoming a decent football program. And I think I also bumped them down because I have never liked their basketball team and they're so good at basketball. and I've never really understood why they get to be like a, a conference powerhouse. Uh, so, yeah. I, and also Arizona's field, take a very close look at this sometime. A friend of mine pointed it out to me one time and you'll never unsee this the A in the center of their field is, like, four inches off center, always, forever. It's always off center. Uh, and you, sometimes you have to, like, zoom in on the screen to see it, but it's the dumbest-looking thing in the world once you've noticed it. They somehow paint the logo in the middle of the field a little bit askew. It looks so stupid.
1: I hate that so much, and now you've just ruined it for me. Um, my Okay, my thing, I have this thing with the Arizona, Arizona schools where – At any given point, I kind of like one of them, and I (laughs) not like the other. Through 2017 and before then, I hated ASU because Todd – and it really – what it comes down to is just whoever their coaching staff is at the time. Um, uh, Todd Graham was such a – to me, he embodied everything wrong with – or everything outdated and wrong and ineffective and just, like – shitty as a person about coaching, um, about 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 uh, football coaches in, in college football, um, both how stubborn he was on the field, the way that he seemed to never take accountability. I mean, I could have gone on forever and ever, and he exemplified everything wrong with who gets to be hired as, co- as a college football coach. Um, and so for that reason, I despise ASU. And then they hired Herm, which at first was hilarious. So I kinda be- became a ASU non hater because I was like, Wow, you guys just made a stupid decision, but that's funny, so respect. And then it turns out he actually doesn't suck and seems like a really good dude. And like there's nothing about their program right now that I don't like really. So now I like ASU. They're one of my buddies in my in my heart. But on the other hand, I mean I didn't I mean Rich Rod seemed also kinda like a not a great, I didn't like him either, but I didn't hate, uh, Arizona. Well, I guess I did kind of hate Arizona under Rich Rod because he, I had zero respect for him. Um, and he didn't seem like a good guy. Um, and, um, uh, uh, um, but then they went around and hired, uh, uh, I just spaced out Texas A&M. Their current head coach, Texas A&M. Someone, Somewhere. okay. Yeah. That's what I thought, but I, for some reason I kept skimmed thinking Hamlin, and I'm like, nope, that's not it. Oh, I thought um, you were yeah, seems like he probably
0: and, should have been fired a few times by now.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, he should have been. The thing, them, Arizona hiring uh, Kevin Sumlin to me is like UCLA doing anything that UCLA does, where it's like anyone who did a little bit of research could have told you that, like, that's not going to improve your results on the yeah. field. Um, Although Grant Gunnell, their quarterback coming in, is kind of interesting. Um, So that'll be fun to see. But, um, you know, like to the point where, what, August 5th every year on Twitter was celebrated as Kevin Kevin Sumlin Day because he would always get 8-5, have an 8-5 season (laughs) with, like, a metric crap load of four and five stars and this insane talent. So, ironically, I think Arizona hiring Kevin Sumlin was really good for the Pac-12, but terrible for Arizona because he's, like – Known for being a really dynamic recruiter and bring in guys, especially with his connection with Texas, and so bring in, uh, bring in some better talent from Texas. So outside the Pac-12's usual footprint, so the other middle tier schools won't have to compete with Arizona as much for those guys. So there's more talent to go around. So I think that's good for the Pac-12 as far as not being totally irrelevant. But when they hired Kevin Sumlin, I kind of threw my arms up in the air and was like, guys, you dumb idiots! Like. We all could have told you this is a – you're not – why? Like, um, you know, so far we've been validated. So, yeah.
0: yeah. I I hadn't even thought of it in terms of the coaches, but that's a really good point because it really does go back to, like, year over year. That's exactly what I hated about Arizona State under – Todd Graham, like they're this program in the desert they can be a little distinctive and a little different than the rest of the conference and they hired like a, not only a very like football guy prototype, but one who's not even that good at it and oh, stuck with it for not a good long at time. All. Um, I mean, you'd
1: have lost to him, but that was because we decided to be terrible, not because of any of his own you know prowess.
0: None yeah. of these schools has won uh, the conference this millennium either, which is kind of bizarre. I sure. guess, I mean, when would sure. they have? They haven't been good, but it's been since 97. That's another reason I have a soft spot for Arizona State. I really enjoyed their, uh, mm-hmm. I guess it was 96 yeah. team uh, when they went to the Rose Bowl with Jake Plummer, and, and uh, Bruce Snyder was the coach, and they, they played that uh, awful Ohio State team. Uh, who, is, uh, who is on that team? I don't even remember anymore, but uh, that was a, a memorable one, and I really enjoyed watching Jake Plummer that year. Wish it that was uh, – yeah, wish that would have ended differently. They had a chance to win a national title. It would have been really cool. It would have been, like, very different, and it didn't happen, and it's all been downhill from there. Um, so next on the list, I think, yeah, that, I, I think we just kind of, like, rambled through all the reasons to be ambivalent about the Arizona schools. Um, a recent move, this one for me, is Utah. Um, I always liked them, and this is actually, we were having a conversation about this, uh, which is what made me want to have the, do this uh, topic because Utah always kind of was, like, the plucky underdog in the conference who always got the most out of their talent, and the fact that the whole team was, like, 24- and 25-year-olds. And, yeah, it's an unfair advantage in a sense, but, I mean, anybody could theoretically start recruiting guys and sending them on missions, I guess. Um, But that was always kind of fun. Uh, But then this over the summer, the fact that their defensive coordinator, Morgan Scaly, 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 got caught sending out, like, really very, very racist texts, and uh, the school was like, mm, you're pretty good at this. We're going to keep you here. And, like, the implication that he's like, oh, I thought I, I was, uh, you know, I sent it to a player, but I thought I was sending it to other coaches. like, well, that's somehow, that's actually yeah, that's worse. worse. Because yeah. That means that you think it's okay to send it to your colleagues? It's just And, and you're they're, they seem like you think they'd be okay with it? It's awful. Yeah. And, like, it, it makes me question the entire culture of the program um, more than, like, their weird, completely sober, uh, like, psychotic fans already made me question it.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I, um, I've also – I've always loved Utah. And I, I think in – you know, I'm sure in due time it will get back to a place where I'm, you know, in the, in the aggregate and back to liking them. Right now, I don't hate them, but yeah, that definitely kind of put a stain on it for me.
0: Yeah, um, I still have them in the top half. I think it's cool that yeah. they like always come up with these under-the-radar defensive players who end up being extremely good.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I also kind of enjoy the tradition of, I feel like, every year under Chris Peterson where the game against Utah would be super close. Something would happen that involved the flag or a lack of flag, someone, like both, Whichever team lost would get really salty about it, and then the next day we'd be like, "Okay, but we love you though." Yeah. <laughs> I kind of like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and this is I think like,
0: this is where we've like crossed the- into the territory of like schools where I don't really have any qualms about cheering for them against other teams. Like I'm pretty eager to jump on board when they're in a big non-conference game or something like that. Um, like I really wanted Utah to finish the season, obviously beat Oregon uh, in the and and have a shot at the playoffs last year, but uh, even after that, I think they played, ended up playing Texas and, and really playing like garbage in their bowl game, and I, I was just very <laughs> much for them at that point. So, yeah, this is where we're kind of moving into the grudging admiration tier. Uh, four schools left, so fourth place, uh, and these I think these next two are kind of interchangeable. Fourth and third, I have Colorado and Cal. Um, some people probably hate Cal. I don't know. I, Colorado seems like mostly harmless and I like Ralphie and I like the view from their stadium and their history is kind of cool. Like going back to Cordell Stewart before they're even in the conference. Uh, But since they've been in the conference, it's just kind of been like they had that one good year when we stopped them in the conference title game. And other than that, they've just been kind of there and I almost feel bad for them and I'd like them to do better. Any thoughts on Colorado or is it just like not a lot going on there?
1: Yeah, I, I feel similarly where, um, I am, I will always be cocky about the fact that I predicted, uh, at the end of 2015, I predicted that Colorado, I think I said they would be second in the South. So not to be a bitch, but you you all should listen to me. Um, but, and so I'll always kind of love them for validating my own ego. Um, but yeah, I pretty much feel the same. Um, uh, what was, I remember, I think it was, yeah, two years ago. It was Steven Montez's last game. I remember for kind of similar to in Utah games where when they're going on, everything's really heated. I remember it's, it's Stephen Montez, I remember getting, like, really salty with Miles Bryant. And so for about 15 minutes, I hated Colorado and then <laughs> yeah, no loss. Um, but, yeah. I think the thing with Cal, though, is that because of this isn't football, but because of UW's history with Cal, with crew, which is, you know, the sport where we beat Nazis and kick more ass than anybody. Um, I think it's kind of hard to overlook that. And also because, um so for me personally, my own alma mater, alma mater, alma mater, uh, UBC has like the little World Cup rugby home and home every year with Cal. Um because no school in, uh, America as good at as good as, as rugby as they are, um, except for Life University in Georgia, which is like a chiropractic university, which is weird. Um, so for me, I'll always be a little bit salty about Cal, and especially after the last two years where Evan Weaver was such a, like, I respect him, but I hate him so much. Yeah. Was, like, such a douchebag about it, and I'm like, I respect that, and I would really love you if you were on my team, but God, I hate you right now. Um, so... I'll be salty about that one for a while. But but I, I just I have to think about it objectively that I know how much I would love how uh, how kind of douchebaggy they've been the last two years if if it, if I were a cow person. So I can't hate on that too much, really.
0: Yeah, I, I think I, I really enjoyed the uh, Jeff Tedford era. I thought like I respected him as a coach. I thought they did yeah. some like really made and the most of the teams. Much on, and Marshall, I was going to say, like, they, they put a lot of the players who've come out of the program have been very cool players. Marshawn, um, Brandon Mebane, who's also, like, longtime Seahawk and, from a, you know, a very cool guy. Air, I like Aaron Rodgers. I think he's super fun like to watch. Uh, like, Mitchell Schwartz went there, and he's, like, one of the most uh, interesting, smartest people in the NFL. Keenan Allen is very fun to watch, you know. Not popular to to say nice things about uh, Deshaun Jackson right now. He's done some pretty like he's had some very exciting moments in the NFL. I
1: Wondering if we were gonna bring that up or just like keep going. Yeah, Yeah. no, I'm not defending Uh,
0: Deshaun Jackson. I just have liked some of his NFL exploits. I like him as a football player. Yeah, Um, yeah. So Cal, I also, I mean, Cal. I said earlier that Stanford is like the one school we don't have like a uh, strong argument against academically. You could probably throw Cal in that boat too. That's amazing yeah. school. Um, and Berkeley's yeah. like, a, it's a very cool place historically. I, I would, you know, people very far right on the political spectrum might not feel that way, but, uh, you know, kind of what that represented through the 60s yeah. and 70s and the, and the uh, like, font of progressive thought is kind of worth something, I think, as a tiebreaker ahead of Colorado, yeah. maybe.
1: Um, totally. So, second place, no, I mean, drumroll. No you you oh. I was, was going to say, no matter where you are like, politically, you have to admire, like, uh, Berkeley's history in you know in the in the sixties and all that like there's not really anything in hindsight that's like politically charged about it, you know. Yeah, right. Although obviously there was at the time.
0: Yeah. I, yeah, you're exactly Anyways, right. They were on the right side of these debates. Um so that leaves one school left and that's other than UW who I've a spoiler, I'm gonna put them in first. Second though, is Oregon State and this actually maybe has okay. something in common with Cal for why at the moment I kind of like them, which is that they have a former UW coordinator as their head coach. Um, and it's just been kind of funny after what a whipping boy Jonathan Smith was at UW to see him seemingly get a foothold and turning around like an impossible program. And for all the things they have in common with Washington State as like the poor little brothers in the conference that they have, they're their under – uh, like they don't have good facilities. It's very hard to recruit there. They're in like a town that has almost nothing there. Uh, for all of that, um, we don't have to deal with the same uh, things you described for WSU with Oregon State. And as a matter of fact, the people I know who went there are all very likable, and none of them are pretend rednecks. Cool. And uh, hey. it seems like – actually, Corvell seems like a pretty cool
1: place. Yeah. Any Any, any like, country people – uh, I know who went to Oregon State or who are OSU fans or whatever. Like they're legit. And then, if they're not like red like rednecks or country uh, it, or people who hail from the country, like they don't pretend to be. they just are who they are, and they're cool. and also the enemy of my enemy, blah, blah, blah. Yes. and I will I will always love Oregon state. I can't really imagine a scenario where I don't love them.
0: Also, uh, black and orange is just a wonderful uniform or color scheme combination. Should be used more. Yeah, I think.
1: That one, cool.
0: Sure. Yeah. Uh, also, across the, the, the Moorhead Spuds across the river from where I grew up, uh, black and orange as well. My my mom's alma mater. Uh, very uh, great color scheme. I think people uh, shy away from it because they think Halloween has that those colors trademarked, but you can wear black hey, on your round.
1: Fantastic color. Yeah. Honor it's a, it always. Like
0: the Philadelphia Flyers, Baltimore Orioles, they're not like scared off by Halloween. They embrace it and it's great. Yeah. No. Okay, so that gets us to the end of our, our list. And I think we ended up, you know, in general terms being fairly on the same page, I'd love to hear what other people think about that. Like, if we're there are people who are just like, I can't believe that you didn't have UCLA dead last or whatever. It'd be uh, funny to hear like where our consensus diverges from the popular opinion. But I also, oh yeah,
1: yeah, want to hear if, if anyone listened to that in its entirety. <laughs> I want to hear from you. Yeah, yes. Okay, I'm sorry. i sorry. As
0: we were getting into that segment, I was like, this could take a while. This could end up being a long one, but whatever. We're in quarantine, and we have nothing going on. Uh, lastly, uh, we're going to do our recommendations and plugs. I'm going to go very quickly, uh, give you a minute to think of something, if you thought i thing. I've been in this, like uh, – kind of a a whole of everything I watch is like, ah, that was fine. Like every movie, every new TV show, every comedy special, every book is like, yeah, it's pretty good. But I haven't like been in love with anything. So I was kind of going down the list and I'm no like music expert or music critic, but, uh, the new run the jewels album is very, very good. And like, you just put it on and put it on loop, have it on when I'm working. And it's like, there's nothing on it where I'm like, Oh, what am I listening to? Fast forward through this, skip this. It's all great. And it's, it's very fun to listen to.
1: I like that. I will note that in my brain, and then maybe do something with it. Um, <laughs> on I my maybe end, something
0: I would recommend typing it into Spotify. That would be my recommendation.
1: Nope, I will think about it really hard. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, on my end, let's see. Oh, um, if you have like any sort of, I'm gonna, I'm gonna plug an album, and I an activity. Actually, you know what? Screw that. I'm not going to plug the activity. Activities are stupid. Lie there and just let yourself atrophy while we quarantine until the world
0: explodes. Wait to die.
1: <laughs> I'll do that. Maybe if, if, you know, if the sun hasn't exploded by the next time we do this podcast, then I'll come up with, with this activity. Um, it, it was going to be pickleball because I hadn't oh, gotten any exercise until the last like, month and a half and now all they do is play pickleball um but um this is kind of i don't think i've ever plugged a twitter account but i'm going to do two of them the first one is whale facts which uh, uh is just it just gives you facts about whales that are varying degrees of scientific um and it's delightful and if you're sitting around during your days going ah things are bad a, you're not wrong, but B, whale facts will cheer you up, um, and then also – Hold uh, on. I'm
0: looking this up right now. Is it whale facts 101 or legit whale facts? I
1: think it's just called whale facts. Oh, maybe. Wh- no, that f-
0: account only has 148 followers.
1: Okay, well, I retweeted something that <laughs> I Do from whale – it's like the third thing on my Twitter right now. It's just whale facts. Um, so if you can find that. Then, then you found the right account. Um, and then also, though, um, if you are if you are a person who enjoys laughing, um, comedy here often uh, is a Twitter handle. It's um, this Vancouver-based kind of comedy. It's the pretty much it's the wing of the comedy wing of Six to Four Records, which is the record label that um, has like Carly Ray Jepsen and um, other. Crap that I can't remember right now. Um, so they do a bunch of comedy stuff, and I was just gonna say that you should follow them on Twitter if you have a Twitter. Um, I would have. Uh, th- it was just popped into my brain because uh, the um, a, like a friend of mine recorded an album with them in November, but because of the pandemic, they have had to delay releases. So I would have told you. I would have plugged my friend's album, but because I can't do that because it's not out yet, I'm just going to tell you to follow their label, and eventually you'll see it. And she's very funny. Um, yeah. So I'm going to. those are them um, two Twitter accounts.
0: It is at a whale fact. Oh. That is the one. And okay. it, I, I zoned out on the Carly Rae Jepsen music label thing and just read a bunch of whale facts and yet. okay. It's
1: great. It's so great. good. It's the. Gr- I don't want to be histriotic, but it's the greatest writing in the history of mankind.
0: <laughs> yeah, nothing. there's nothing in the world I just despise more than hyperbole, so I'm with you. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I get it. I get it. I see what you did. All
0: okay. right, so we've been talking for seven hours, uh, all the way back since Owen Prentice committed to Washington, but that should probably do it for now. Uh, remember to join us next time when hopefully we'll have something to talk about because we'll be Cody possibly Pickett. interviewing Cody Pickett. Yeah, I mean, that would certainly fill out uh a, a outline more easily than what we've done today.
1: Indeed. Getting All right, thanks, zone. everybody. Are we signing off or just going to <laughs> say?
0: We're just doing the gentle fade out again. We're just
1: gonna, Rob, fade us out. Fade us out, Robert. I have a cat next to me. She's sleeping. She was attacking my hand while we were recording this, and it hurt a lot. And frankly, I would like praise for not shrieking in pain. you. <laughs>